0: Um, With that, let's go to the scriptures. So uh, grab your Bibles, and let's go back to the study that we're doing here from the Old Testament book of Zechariah called Courage, Dear Heart. And um, today we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 4, and you can find your way there. But as you're looking for Zechariah 4, let me read to you from a couple of different places. I want to read to you from another minor prophet in the Old Testament. Um, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 says, "'Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord.'" I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Uh, The King James Version says, He makes my feet like hinds feet, and He sets me on my high places. If, If you have never read Hannah Hernard's classic book, Hinds Feet on High Places, You have to read it at some point in your life. It is a a fantastic allegory of the Christian life, and she draws her theme of hinds feet that enable us to scale to the heights from this passage. But, But Habakkuk wasn't the first person to write about this. In fact, Habakkuk probably drew this imagery from King David. King David, in Psalm 1833, says, "'He makes my feet like the feet of a deer.'" He causes me to stand on the heights. Have you ever seen a mountain goat or or a deer scale a rock cliff? It it is absolutely amazing to watch this creature scale the unscalable. I want you to watch about 30 seconds of a video of, of a deer climbing up an almost vertical rock wall of a dam. It's trying to get to the top where there's a salt deposit. But this cliff is almost vertical. Watch this for a few seconds. have you ever done that? (laughs) And I don't mean climb the wall of a dam to lick salt. Have you ever had to scale something that seemed absolutely insurmountable? Have you ever stood at the base of, of some cliff or some mountain and looked up some overwhelming assignment or issue or decision and thought, how in the world am I ever going to get over that? That was the situation in Zechariah chapter 4. At this point, Israel's post-Babylonian exile rebuilding efforts were way too overwhelming. The the city of Jerusalem was hollowed out and burned. It had no walls. The the temple was still in ruins, and the people were struggling. Uh, Joshua, their high priest, was struggling. Zerubbabel... Was struggling. Zerubbabel, doesn't that sound like a Flintstones character? (laughs) But Zerubbabel was the governor of Israel at this time. And things were so desperate and so dire and so overwhelming that God gave a word to the prophet Zechariah to speak to Zerubbabel. And listen, you and I need this same word. So Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. A capstone is a high point. A capstone is a crowning achievement in a person's career. It's, it's, it's the most extraordinary accomplishment of a person's life. In academia, a capstone is the final project at the end of a, a degree or a course of study. My capstone moment in Bible college was kissing Jessica Beale. <laughs> Not not the actress, Jessica Biel, that Jessica Biel. I would much rather kiss her than the actress. Uh, In in this moment, the capstone would be the finishing touches of a rebuilt temple. And the rebuilt temple would signify that God's glory had come back to the people, that their identity was being reestablished, that blessing had returned, that prosperity was available for them and for their children. Now, the NIV version that I read to you says that the capstone would be established with shouts of God bless it. However, um, every other Bible translation beside the NIV translates it differently. Every other translation says that he would set the capstone in place with shouts of grace, grace. Um, Grace gets translated God bless it in the NIV because God's blessing is grace. Grace means graciousness. It means kindness. It means favor from God. It means beauty. It means prosperity. Um, Grace upon grace is a blessing. It's the blessing of God that levels mountains and puts the insurmountable underneath our feet. So are you trying to climb anything that's daunting today? You don't have to raise your hand, but is anybody here trying to climb um, something that's, that's hard to get over, a relational breakdown, a, a bad health diagnosis, a, a crisis of faith, a, 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 a torn up friendship, a, a, a loved one who's struggling, a, a polarized society, maybe fear of the future right now? The, the answer to the insurmountable is grace. In verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to me the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. God does not have seven literal eyes. Seven means perfection or completion. So, so the prophetic language of this passage is saying, hey, hey listen, um, God sees the end from the beginning. God knows where he's taking you. He knows what he's determined to do with your life. And so God knows that this small moment right now, that this smallness that you're living with right now might actually be a seed for tomorrow's oak tree. Zerubbabel, this one little brick that you've set in the foundation, and it seems so puny compared to all of the work that still has to happen, that brick today might be tomorrow's capstone. Verse 11, Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, What are those two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Um, this is a picture of Zechariah's vision that somebody put together to kind of illustrate what he was seeing. A lot of imagery there that I won't get into, but the, the, the seven lamps are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. There are several places in Scripture that use that metaphor, that these seven lamps are, are the Spirit of God, or the sevenfold Spirit of God. And then the two olive trees Not containers with olive oil, but living trees that are dripping oil into the container that keeps the lamps burning. That refers to the unending, infinite, unquenchable, yoke-breaking oil and power of God. So, let's review. Hey, Zerubbabel, Jessica, Amanda... Danny, Janet, Lisa, Amanda. um, There's a gigantic mountain standing in front of a particular part of your life right now. It's daunting. It's fierce. It's overwhelming. In fact, nothing but a mountain goat could make it up the side of that thing. And those little few steps that you've taken at the base of that mountain, what a joke. There's so much further to go, it feels like you haven't even started yet. Uh, The the progress that you've tried to generate is so, so small compared to the task in front of you that you might just want to pack it in right now. You're you're not wise enough to solve every problem that you have. You're not powerful enough to fix every issue or clear out every struggle that your loved ones are facing, but that's okay. Okay. Because there are other forces at work in the world. And if God sent angels to wake you up at 2 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, they would say to you, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of the living God operating through shouts of grace that insurmountable mountains end up underneath your feet. See, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a hill... That thing flattens out until you could play soccer on top of it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit miraculously levels our mountains. And those are good moments. When something just shifts and that thing that you are facing, it just stretches out in front of you and you can just walk across it. Those are awesome moments. But, but at other times, God gives us hinds feet. And he teaches us how to climb. And, and either way, though, regardless of how it happens... Whether it's a sweeping miracle or a step-by-step march of grace, either way, the mountain ends up underneath our feet. It's quite a promise. And you know it's true because, because some of you are living it today. Some of you have set up camp on top of your addiction. Some of you used to be buried under heartbreak or loss, but you finally come into a new place with fresh perspective and fresh vision. Um, Some of you are free today in areas that used to bind you up for years. That's called grace. Grace looks like a restored marriage. Grace looks like a repaired friendship. Grace looks like a forgiven offender or or a restoration house in Cambodia where formerly trafficked girls become um, trafficking abolitionists. Grace looks like wounded people who become healers. Um, see, grace allows people to not only shoulder and survive the unthinkable, but actually come through to the other side still in love with Jesus, still holding on to their faith, or maybe I should say still being held by their faith. Sometimes we're holding on to our faith, but sometimes it's our faith that's holding on to us. But we need a fresh understanding of grace. Grace. Um, uh, my friend Mike Platter, he's a pastor over at Glendora Community Church, he likes to call grace heavenly help. And I think that's terribly cheesy uh, and, and incredibly profound. Grace is heaven's help intersecting with our earthly needs. When you bring your confusion into God's presence and you suddenly get clarity, that's Grace. When you bring your hurt feelings into God's presence, and after a time of prayer, you start feeling a little bit better, that's grace. When you pray, and then things that you're praying about actually start happening, that's grace. When someone hurts you, anybody been hurt this week? When somebody hurts you, have you interacted with any humans this week? If somebody hurts you, and then they apologize to you, and you realize, wow, I... I have it in me to forgive. That's grace too. Grace can mend the unmendable. Grace gives us hinds feet and it teaches us to stand on our high places. Man, I love this. When Zerubbabel was losing heart, the prophet had a vision. And this angel said to the prophet Listen, Zerubbabel's about to lose it. He is overwhelmed, he can't go any further. He feels like his his efforts are so insignificant. He's about to give up his whole idea of trying to rebuild the kingdom. In fact, he's about to despise the whole thing. So I need you to run to him. And I need you to tell him it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the spirit of God. I need you to talk to him and tell him that grace is on the way. So let let me tell you um, five things about grace. Um, in biblical numerology, the number five often represents grace. So kind of had to use five things to symbolize grace. Our, our anniversary is packed with fives. We were married on 5 5 But number one, grace is not generated by human effort. Um, it, it's crucial that we understand that grace is grace. Y- yeah, you, you've got to try your hardest to get up your mountains, you got to do your absolute best to bulldoze through your obstacles, but that's not the same thing as grace. Um, the Apostle Paul made it very clear that, that he married his best human efforts with grace. He talked about when God's grace hit him, he, he labored powerfully in conjunction with grace, but grace is not the result of human effort or, or the result of the resilience of the human spirit. Humans are very resilient, And yet we also are prone to breaking beyond our ability to bounce back from. We need a power source that's outside of us to help us. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how strong you are, we all come to a place where we need something outside us. Um, It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit operating through shouts of grace. That's number one. Grace is not generated by human effort. Number two, grace is the medium of the Holy Spirit. Just quick theological understanding. Anytime grace is present, the Holy Spirit is at work. Uh, the, 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 grace is Holy Spirit help. And number three, even though we don't generate grace by human effort, grace can be intentionally Accessed. Uh, In verse 7, God was talking to Zerubbabel, and he said, or no, in in verse 7, God was talking to the mountain, and remember what he said. So God is speaking to the mountain, and he says, what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground, and he, Zerubbabel, will bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace. So the spirit was doing the work, but Zerubbabel was accessing the grace, so we don't generate it, but we have to do some things to access it. And so that leads to number four. Grace is accessed through humility. Humility accesses and unlocks grace. Um, James 4, 6 is probably one of the most important practical theology verses you and I could ever know. It says, but he gives us more grace. Grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor, or gives grace to the humble. Humility releases the grace of God, and the grace of God is the power of God. I just wrapped up a ministry course at APU, and I harped on my students all semester. I I, I put that statement on every single quiz and test and paper all year long. Humility releases grace. And grace is the power of God. If you are ever stuck, if you're ever in a graceless moment, look for the path of humility. The path of humility will always lead you to grace. And grace is the medium that the Holy Spirit operates through. So when you're tied up in a relationship and you humble yourself, grace starts to trickle into the room. And when you get enough grace in the room, anything can happen. When, 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 when I humble myself, um, grace starts to flow. The very next verse says, submit yourselves then to God. That's humility. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's grace in operation. So when I submit to God in humility, grace begins pouring over me. And suddenly I have a power to stand in grace and access grace and send opposition and temptation or whatever it is, fleeing. Number five, one more. Grace either, I love this thought, rides to the rescue or walks alongside you. Sometimes grace is a bulldozer and it just flattens the things that you're facing. And I hope you've experienced that. Sometimes grace clears out forests and it makes a path and it gives you so much room to run. And I hope you have that experience over and over. But there are other times grace isn't so much a bulldozer. It's more like a partner on your journey and it walks beside you one little step at a time. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 is one of the classic grace passages And in this passage, we see how grace walks alongside a person until they eventually reach the summit. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about a thorn in the flesh that he had. Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh, and and it says that he he begged God on three different occasions to take it away. And we don't really know what Paul's thorn was because the word flesh can mean this, our, our physical bodies. Or sometimes it refers to our more carnal side of our nature. So the thorn in the flesh may have been a physical affliction or or something internal that he battled with and couldn't seem to shake. Um, But in verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The word messenger is the Greek word angel. So however this thorn landed in his person, it was a demonic attack that kept plaguing him. And when it says it was to torment me, torment means to, to stab with a sharp stick. So there was either a part of his body that kept just kind of stagging, stabbing him and afflicting him, and he couldn't get rid of it, or it was something on the inside. But, but either way, um, he begged God, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So no, son, I'm not, I'm not going to remove this one. But we, together, through grace, will overcome it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whether we get caught up in a whirlwind of grace, and I like that a lot better, or whether we're taught how to take one little baby step at a time up the side of the mountain, grace gives us hinds feet and it puts the unscalable within reach and takes us to the summit And when we get there, we see, and we understand, and we know what God is doing. Um, Jessica and I have been on a six-year journey with the Pearson family from This Is Us. Um, Are are any of you on that same journey? Last week, wow. Wow. The, the episode last week was amazing. I think that Ron Howard and the writers that work with him are relational savants. And, and I don't think we have ever seen a better illustration of how the grace of God walks a person one step at a time through life until the day finally comes when they see and they realize what else was going on all around them. And even though I was just learning how to live by grace today and then respond by grace tomorrow, wow, God has been working. God has been doing some things. My life has counted far more than I realize, and it's been good. God is at work. You will understand. You will reach the summit, and grace will get you there. So, would you stand with me? And I would love for you to pray with me today. We we have one final song that we'll do as a response moment, but we need to pray for our country today. And I think that the perfect um, response to a passage on grace is to pray for the grace of God. As you know, of course, in the last couple of weeks, we've had another spree, not just one or two, we've had another round of multiple um, mass shootings one of which, at least one, was terribly racially motivated and we need grace like never before. And it gets exhausting to constantly pray about the same things. God, how many of these shootings are we praying on the heels of? It gets exhausting, but, but if we believe what the scripture says about the church, we are the people of God in the world. This is a moment for us to model humility, um, devotion, Dependence on Jesus and a plea for grace. This is a time for us to live the countercultural, sacrificial, giving away of our lives, kingdom of God for the world around us. So I, I wanna pray. I wanna ask God to forgive our country. Um, I, wanna, I wanna ask Him to forgive us for the dynamics that set these things in motion. We know we're dealing with fallen human beings that have issues, sometimes we're dealing with mental illness. Sometimes we're dealing with demonic stuff. Sometimes it's just life. Um, but, but, but we still need to ask God's forgiveness. And then I want to ask that the grace of God, like just the shouts of grace would be over our country. So, um, Lord Jesus, would you please um, forgive us as, as a country? Would you please wash us clean as a people? We are sorry for whatever um, whatever dynamics we humans have put in motion to allow for there to be tragedies and horrors and violence and murders and racism and all of those things lord we are sorry and whether we personally have contributed or not we just repent today on behalf of our country we repent on behalf of our nation and even just on behalf of humanity We want to stand as intercessors, standing in the gap between us and you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Change us. Would you do a work in the soul of America? Lord, as we move into even more confusing and perilous times ahead, Lord, with with other rulings and issues and happenings, Jesus, we need you to do a work on the inside of us. Some of the mountains that seem to be facing our children and our world seem unsurmountable. Lord, we shout grace over it. We have plea for grace over our country. We pray for the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God to be on our schools, on our colleges, on our businesses, on our government, on our homes. Father, truly, we seek the path of humility draw your church in America down the path of humility that can unlock some grace. Would you soften hearts and change minds and work in lives and bring an awakening, bring a revival in our country that starts on the inside and then begins to leaven the world around us. So Jesus, please provide comfort for these victims that have been harmed, that have lost loved ones. Provide justice, bring an end to these kinds of things we want to see fewer shootings, fewer um, revolts like that, fewer um, issues. Would you start to heal in a fresh and a powerful way? God, we beg you. We plead with you. And we won't stop praying. And we won't stop seeking you. And we won't stop hoping. Lord, we need grace. God bless our country. God bless it. God bless it. God bless the White House and Congress and the Supreme Court and our military and economy and businesses and educators and family and researchers and Hollywood. God, let Your blessing, let Your grace, let Your work happen in the lives of the those in the world around us. We seek You, we need You. You said, "If my people, who are called by My name, will humble themselves and pray," You put that on us, on Your people. So we seek You. We will turn. We will pray. And you said you will hear from heaven and you will heal. So we worship you with all of our heart and all of our soul. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for grace. I speak your grace over every person here. Lord, would you shout grace over every little baby and every adult child in the room? Would you shout grace over every relationship? over every person seeking a job or praying about the future or asking what's next, would you release grace? Would you release blessing that changes everything? Would you put mountains under our feet, God? Let us have a perspective. We want it before we die. We want it before the end of our life. We want perspective now. Would you lift our gaze? Would you speak to our souls? Can we we just worship for a few more minutes today and say whatever you need to say to the Lord and let's Let's just respond with this this song, "Living Hope."